You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For God's sake, don't let dead cats lie on your porch, Wilbur. Well, President Johnson knew how to make a point. I mean, it might not have sounded like the erudite policy discussion one might imagine preceded the enactment of one of America's largest and arguably most cherished government programs. But thanks to the recording of a crude dictaphone executive recording system, we know that this Don't let dead cats lie on your porch is one of many things that President Lyndon Johnson said in the short private meeting that probably launched Medicare as we know it. The Wilbur that Johnson was talking to there was Wilbur Mills, congressman from Arkansas and the force behind the bill. Sam Rayburn used to always say that. Don't let dead cats on your porch. This March 1965 Oval Office discussion with Mills, who was also the House Ways and Means Committee chairman in regard to his Medicare bill, was recorded for history, though not all the participants knew it. The program, Medicare, is not Johnson's alone. It is shaped in the Kennedy-Johnson campaign of 1960, and the idea is proposed well before that. But the proposed Medicare program of the Kennedy-Johnson ticket was a little different. It was only paying seniors' hospital bills, not for all their health care or all their trips to the doctor. But at this moment, what weighed heaviest on the president's mind was not hospitals, not physicians, not diseases. It was Easter. For God's sake, Wilbur, let's get this bill passed before Easter. The Constitution, Article 1, Section 7, says that revenue bills originate in the House of Representatives. So, it could be said that it was the Founding Fathers' fault that Mills was getting harangued by the leader of the free world at this moment. You know, they make a poll every Easter, and it says what Congress has done up until that point. And for the rest of the year, that's what they write the editorials about. Mills was the person who could start this bill. Now, Lyndon Johnson is in the Oval Office at this time with another man named Wilbur. This Wilbur is Wilbur Cohen, his Undersecretary of Health, Education, and Welfare. You could say supreme policy wonk of the Johnson administration. It could be said that Cohen was the invisible hand behind Medicare. Only Lyndon Johnson knew that this conversation with this powerful member of Congress and his Undersecretary was being recorded. It was not recorded in crystal clear sound. It was not recorded for future historians, but recorded so that secretaries could take dictation later. See, LBJ had an issue. He was out there making so many promises, extracting so many promises in return from many a member of Congress, that he could forget at times what he owed and what he was owed. And a few sneaky Washington types even tried to take advantage of old Lyndon for his forgetfulness. Thus, he wanted a record. And though he didn't intend to make history, thanks to the recording, we know a little bit about how Medicare was created, the way that it was, 
with its various parts and policies. And what's rendered visible to us is how the enactment of Medicare was a little bit similar to the creation of the Health Care Reform Act, known as the ACA or Obamacare now, at least in why both bills were created the way that they were. Explain to me what you stole from Burns. For those expecting a senior policy discussion, this comes off more Tony Soprano than leader of the free world. Explain to me the supplemental you stole from Burns. John W. Burns was a top Republican in ways and means. He was proposing an alternative to Johnson's program that had, in addition to a snappy name, Better Care, it had support from doctors. It also had something that Johnson's Medicare bill did not. It had a feature that Medicare did not. Coverage of doctor's bills. Well, Cohen responded to the president. Generally speaking, it's about physician services. Physician. A fella pumps my stomach to see if I got any ulcers. That's a physician. Cohen indicated that the president was correct. Any MD. And he charges what he wants. What doctors would charge was of interest to the president right now. The American Medical Association was opposed to Medicare because they thought it would reduce physician fees. And they were, of course, then and now, the leading doctors association in the United States. Their members would have to make this bill happen in the end of the day. No, Wilbur said. He doesn't quite charge what he wants. The Health, Education, and Welfare Secretary would have to make arrangements with Blue Cross Blue Shield to regulate the fees of the doctor and pay the doctor. This intermediary, Blue Cross Blue Shield, or one of those, would determine policy so the government would not have its long hand in the... This is where Lyndon Johnson cut him off. A good explanation. Any limits on this? Cohen responds. The individual patient pays $50, then 20% of the bill. 20%? Of everything after that. That's good. Keeps the hypochondriacs out. For most people, Cohen said, it pays the majority of the cost. They could borrow that amount, get their folks to pay their part. Good. And the insurance companies are still raising hell and mad about this. Yes, Cohen answered here. They're going to go to the Senate and raise hell about this because, frankly, there's no longer any need for them after this bill. No longer any need for private insurance companies to sell to the over-65 crowd. I should pause here to note that Cohen, despite what he said on the dictaphone that day, was actually wrong, at least in his prediction. There is actually, as it turns out, a good market for insurance companies and supplemental insurance policies. I mean, LBJ wasn't much interested, though, in that detail anyway. Wonderful. Now remember this. Nine out of ten times I get into trouble, it's because things lie around. Cohen was ready. They want to bring it up next week, Mr. President. Not good enough for LBJ. Well, they want to, but they might not. Doctors get organized on this. Damn near lost my education bill. Letting it lie around. It's like a dead cat in the door. He then went on and on about his education bill to Cohen, and as if he only then realized he still had Congressman Mills, the chairman of the Ways and Means, still on the line, he jumped back on and gave him that line again. For God's sakes, don't let dead cats... Well, welcome to the creation of the Medicare bill.
Medicare is 50 years old, 1965, it's 2015. Given that, I thought it would be a good idea to take another look at an episode I did a few years ago, actually five years ago, about the history of Medicare. But rather to just rerun it, to re-record it, adjust some of the information, and add something. There's a transcript of this program available at medicareresources.org, and you can go there and download it. A couple of things are clear from our brief stint as flies on the wall here. Although the bill was created between a Democratic congressman and undersecretary for the Democratic president, no Republicans in that room, it contained a, quote, borrowed idea from the Republicans, an idea which inadvertently led to the expansion of the program. Thus, a hospital insurance bill became a total health care bill for seniors. So in an odd way, Medicare was bipartisan, even though the Republicans and Democrats did not hash the Medicare bill out in a private meeting in a room. The two parties addressed health care for seniors in public, but in very different ways. The 1960 Republican platform called only for help with insurance payments for the aged. The 1964 Republican platform called for tax credits. The American Medical Association and Republicans supported an existing bill known as Care Mills. Care Mills provided low-income coverage for the elderly's hospital cost. But there still was a problem with Care Mills. It was only financed by federal grants to the states. The states had to apply for it, and the states had to match the money paid out by the federal government to them. They had to pay 20 to 50% of the cost of taking care of their older citizens. Well, not all states had that money. And in the United States, an estimated 10 million seniors were considered low-income, could not benefit from the program. Only about half a million got coverage through Care Mills. John Burns' Better Care Bill was more generous, though it could be said his bill was not so much proposed to provide anyone health care but as an attempt to undermine Lyndon Johnson's, Wilbur Cohen's, Wilbur Mill's Medicare bill and to give Republicans a positive program to vote for rather than just being against health care for seniors. Despite all these differences, a kind of virtual cooperation happened. Virtual bipartisanship, you could say. And it might be said that the same type of virtual competition cooperation occurred with the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010. Both bills had provisions designed to appeal to opponents, though the proponents of both bills were not sure they could get an opposition vote at all. In the case of Medicare and the 2010 Affordable Care Act, there were items added to attempt to reduce the opposition's strength to attempt to undercut arguments against it. Lyndon Johnson's co-opt of a Republican feature is similar in a way to the borrowed private sector mechanisms of the 2010 ACA bill. In other words, that it's a mandate right, to buy health insurance from a private company. No universal coverage, universally paid for by a single government payer. ACA, in a way, is a program that would have made Senator Bob Dole happy in 1994 as he was fighting off the Clinton health care plan, a more expansive plan at that time. And it's very similar 
to the Republican 2012 candidate Mitt Romney's plan that he enacted when he was governor of Massachusetts. I mean, if there are some similarities between the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010 and the passage of Medicare in 1965, it should be said that two pieces of legislation had very different stories behind their passage. President Lyndon Johnson was much more involved in the creating of Medicare, in providing the impetus behind Medicare, than most think President Obama was of the congressionally authored health care reform bill, even though the end result bears President Obama's name. Lyndon Johnson would allow Mills to temporarily get the credit, but he'd get the credit in history for the passage of Medicare. Conservative Mills, it should be said, was a reluctant supporter of Medicare. He was worried about the cost, yet after 1964's election, it had been a Linden landslide, scores of new liberal Democratic congressmen ready to enact a senior health care bill, among other programs. Mills knew after that election that some kind of bill was going to go through. Settled on the plan provided by Cohen. Cohen did the details. But so important in the passage of Medicare was that Johnson was acting as a catalyst, emphasizing the urgency with holidays and polls and dead cats. Medicare was far more bipartisan than Obamacare has turned out to be. The program was passed by the House 313 to 115. Over 70 Republicans joined Democrats to pass Medicare. Their votes were not needed for passage. It could have been passed entirely with Democratic votes. And likely the Republicans at the time saw the writing on the wall in voting for the Medicare program that would benefit seniors in their district. In contrast, the Affordable Care Act of 2010 was supported only by Democrats. And the bill in the House received one Republican vote. That from a one-term GOP representative in New Orleans in a district that was overwhelmingly Democratic. One vote in the House that could be considered bipartisan at all. It was a party-line bill. Yet, Medicare was not exactly passed in a spirit of bipartisanship either. The comparison to the 1965 vote is only valid if one considers the final House vote, where Republicans joined with Democrats. Yes, there, Republicans voted for the measure. But in committee for years, four years to be exact, Republicans provided 10 solid no votes for Medicare. That, along with a few Southern Democrats, held the bill up and led to the bill not reaching the floor of the House until after the 1964 elections, even though it was a fairly popular idea at the time. Popular, but that's not to say there was no opposition. The American Medical Association saw a government-run program for seniors as a precursor to doctors being employed by the government, and along with their spokesperson, Ronald Reagan, opposed the Medicare bill. Reagan at this time, not yet a governor, former actor, was used on a special record that was sent to doctors' wives to play to friends in coffee clutches, a kind of early viral marketing meetup.com type of thing before there was such a service. Oh, there was opposition. Arizona Senator and former presidential candidate Barry Goldwater said of Medicare to the effect of, next the government will buy seniors fruit baskets or cigarettes. 
Republican Gerald Ford, Republican Donald Rumsfeld, then a congressman from Illinois, voted against it. George H.W. Bush, slowly becoming a candidate for Congress, spoke out against it and called it socialized medicine. A senator then, Bob Dole, voted no as well. Republican minority leader Edward Dirksen said, why should I be allowed to take dollars from some factory worker paid on the promise that we'll take care of them later? I'm wealthy. I don't need the government to pay for my health care. Those are the type of things that were said then. Ronald Reagan campaigning for governor of California in 1966, a year later, was attacked for his opposition to such a popular bill. And then he said, well, I would have gone for a program that provided care for all, not just seniors. If they were low income, if they're low income, I'll go for a program that provides health care for everyone. Jacob Javits, Republican Senator of New York, opposed Medicare on a similar argument. Why is it universal? Why do even rich seniors get it? President Johnson, though, knew what he was doing. He wanted Medicare to be universal, to apply it to all seniors with no income tests. In a very similar fashion, Franklin Roosevelt, 30 years before, made the same decision about Social Security for the same political reasons. Everybody gets it, so everybody has some stake in keeping the program around. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Lyndon Johnson knew the passage of Medicare would be part of his legacy. It was a big event. One of the three bills he most wanted. Education, health care, voting rights. At the last minute, handed a bill for his signature from the Congress, Lyndon Johnson decided to go to Independence, Missouri and sign the Medicare bill with Harry Truman, the former president. This is your bill, he told the former president on the phone. Truman was frail from a recent fall, but he became the first citizen to get a Medicare card. Now, the interesting thing is, outside of former President Truman and his wife, Bess, Others were not so quick to sign up. Not sign up for Medicare sounds crazy, right? But that's what happened in 65 and 66. Indeed, in its first year, Medicare, which required a sign-up, right? The citizen had to actually proactively sign up for it. And it required some money. A $3 a month premium payment almost started like a flop. It was to begin in 1966, in June, with sign-ups ending as of December 1965. 
There are only 2 million seniors that had joined Harry S. Truman in obtaining a Medicare card by the end of 65. The Johnson administration and its new Bureau of Health Insurance got in gear. Millions of brochures went out to encourage seniors on social roles to join Medicare. This was new. The federal government wasn't exactly used to, outside of a war situation, having to advertise its programs. Bit of a new tactic for them. Not only that, computers were set up in Baltimore to manage the new roles. 622 offices for the Bureau of Health Insurance were set up in regions throughout the country. 9,000 workers were brought in, some brought in from other departments, to process all of these senior applications. What happened was a tremendous turnaround. In just a month, between December 1965, when it almost looked like a flop, to January 1966, 17.8 million seniors were signed up for Medicare. Wilbur Cohen called it the greatest operation of the American government since D-Day. Indeed, it was the cornerstone of the great society that Lyndon Johnson announced in his re-election run in his Ann Arbor, Michigan speech. It remained constantly popular. When Republican Richard Nixon reached the White House, he never attempted to dismantle Medicare. And in fact, he'd recommend to Congress to expand the program. Ronald Reagan not as a spokesman anymore, but now as a Republican president, was loath to attack the program. The 1966 cost of the program was $3 billion. The cost of the program in 1993 was $144 billion. In 2008, $350 billion. So obviously, the cost of Medicare has expanded over time as health care services have improved Populations increased, and there's just simply more to pay for. But to some extent, it comes back to the deal that Wilbur Mills and Wilbur Cohen worked out to limit partisan rancor and to limit the opposition of doctors. Medicare would pay doctors the fee that they could expect in the market. Once passed, there was a larger problem with Medicare. How do you administer it? How do you deal with the opposition of the very people who had to make the services happen? That is, doctors and insurance companies. They hate you for passing this bill, and now they have to take care of the patients. It would do no good to give seniors a Medicare card if there was no one that would take care of it. Insurance companies, despite raising hell about the deal, pretty quickly came to the Social Security office in Bethesda to make a deal with the Johnson administration. After all, What Medicare essentially do is create something like a huge employer, a big pool of people, a huge commission of health care services for millions of Americans. An insurance company would need to actually make a payment and work with doctors. Insurance companies wasted no time in forgetting their opposition to the bill and seeking those huge contracts with the newly created Bureau of Health Insurance. Getting doctors on board, that was a bit harder. It was thought that doctors might oppose Medicare simply by refusing to see patients who used Medicare as a form of payment. Many doctors had called for a boycott. Johnson, though, never took the threat seriously. I mean, he thought that would border on a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, right? And in any case, it was a really lousy public relations situation for those doctors. Just like chickens, he told George Meany of the AFL-CIO, they are going to know where they're fed. But the call for boycott was so strong at the grassroots level among doctors 
that there were calls to impeach the president of the AMA when he didn't support a boycott of Medicare. The Ohio branch of the AMA called for a boycott of its own involving Ohio physicians. President Johnson's staff suggested a meeting at the White House between the president and doctors. Lyndon Johnson did just that. He invited the AMA board to the White House. Now, here we get a little bit of what was called the Johnson treatment. Some of the charm, disarm, arm twist tactics that are so famous with him and are probably easier for President Johnson to pull off than any president could now. We know what happened at this meeting between doctors and Johnson from the notes of a member of the AMA board. Lyndon Johnson meets with him. He starts talking on and on about how much good doctors do in America and how doctors treated his father and himself. Nothing that these AMA doctors really wanted to hear. He read many parts of the bill to the AMA doctors, including parts of the bill that said the government would not interfere with medical practice and doctors would be paid their usual and customary fees. And then, as the account of the AMA board member has it, Johnson got up and stretched. Now, you must understand, when you're in a meeting in the Oval Office and the president stands, so does everybody else. So all the members of the AMA board had to stand when the president got up to stretch. If there was any doubt that his stretching was unintentional, Johnson did it three more times during the meeting. Stood up and stretched, and all the doctors stood up three times. Finally, he turned to the AMA president and said, Your president needs your help. He asked the AMA if they could help the administration out with recruiting doctors to go to Vietnam. Of course, the president of the AMA said, maybe a little bit relieved that they were talking about something else but this tricky subject of Medicare. Johnson's eyes lit up immediately. Well, that's wonderful. And he signaled to his press aide, Bill Moyers, to get the press in here to announce this. Little did the AMA doctors know they were walking right into a trap, and the reporters come into the Oval Office, cameras, notebooks, and Johnson relays the news that the AMA has agreed to help the administration recruit doctors to go to Vietnam. While the reporters took note of this news, that the doctors would be helping the administration, they also knew that this meeting in the Oval Office was really about something else. They were interested in, and LBJ certainly knew this, in what the AMA's position was now on the Medicare bill. Would they boycott? The news reporters asked the doctors. But President Johnson takes the question. He says, these guys are helping our boys, defending our freedoms of our land. And then he adds, I'm sure they will abide by the law. Then in a classic Johnson treatment move, he points to the AMA president, the chief doctor of all the doctors in the United States and says, why don't you tell him? The AMA president, Apple, who is now on the spot, tells the reporters, of course doctors will follow the law. It was a done deal after that. About two weeks later, the AMA announced that they would work with Medicare, and all their members would. Now that it was passed, they would not boycott. A year later, at the AMA's convention, most members had a positive view of the Medicare program. Medicare turned out to be actually good for the individual's doctor's business. 
They were indeed paid their usual and customary fee. Some may have even made more. They have made a deal with a patient who was indigent and couldn't pay in the past. Now there was no need to make such deals. Medicare is a success story of the Great Society, the one that's probably remembered most. The bill is consistently popular. Woe to any politician in the United States who attacks it. It has, along with other enhancements to the Social Security Act, reduced senior poverty, and it has provided relief to older Americans as they reach an age where they are prone to health issues. Medicare also provides a silent benefit, not often discussed, to the family of those seniors who no longer have to take money out of their own savings for their parents' medical care. Medicare did not succeed immediately, though. In fact, supporters of health care reform, the ACA, may find some solace in that, perhaps, knowing that Medicare had its hiccups, too, in its first nine months. If one listens to the record that the AMA sent out to the doctor's wives with Ronald Reagan saying, In our sunset years, you will tell your children about how you were once free. You can almost compare it to an opponent in Congress saying, Freedom died a little bit today on the passage of the health care bill. So there was some concern about the effects of Medicare. And there was kind of violent opposition, and it mirrors today's concerns and the battles over Obamacare, ACA. Yet there's a crucial difference, and it's more apparent now, five years out from the passage of the Affordable Care Act. The fight didn't continue with Medicare. It stopped. It didn't continue in 1966 the way it has five years after the passage of ACA. Republicans didn't control the House or the Senate after the 1966 election, so they couldn't reverse the program. But they made no attempt to repeal or reverse the program that 95% of seniors, many in their districts, were utilizing. Republican Richard Nixon gets elected in 1968. He doesn't knock the program when he's running for office, and he doesn't repeal the program in his presidency. In fact, he asked Congress to expand it. Medicare sacredness has continued to be a political factor. It's telling. One of the major attacks against the Affordable Care Act 2010 was that it would hurt Medicare, reference to the cut in doctor payments included in the bill to attempt to make it more deficit neutral. And a recent bill to put those payments back, the the doctor fix, so-called, got bipartisan support. Medicare's popular, and it was popular. So while there's similarities to Medicare's legislation's passage and that of the Affordable Care Act, now known as Obamacare, there are differences. Make no mistake, the lack of popularity generally of program known as Obamacare means that it might be subject to changes down the line. Medicare was a popular idea both for seniors and those with elderly parents. It was a popular idea among Americans facing increased hospitalization costs. The health care reform bill was not as popular. Polls from March and early April 2010, including CNN, Quantipiac, Washington Post, Fox, show over 50% opposed the plan. And not all that much has changed. A Rasmussen reports National Telephone Survey in July 2015 found that 42% of likely U.S. voters share a favorable opinion of the law. 20% view it very favorably. 53% view Obamacare unfavorably, including 37% with a very unfavorable opinion. You will not get those kind of poll results about Medicare. 
Hi, it's Bruce. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories, like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow, simultaneously, freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. But what if, instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're actually on the cusp of a better world? If I've got your attention, then I highly recommend tuning to a podcast that offers a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people. What Could Go Right is the acclaimed news podcast from the Progress Network. Zachary Carabell and Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from climate change to politics, and make the case for a brighter future. Season 5 features fascinating guests like democracy scholar Yesha Munk on the hidden perils of identity politics, and NPR anchor Steve Inskeep about the importance of talking to people who differ from you, and what Abe Lincoln learned from those conversations that helped him unify the country. It's time to ditch the doom-scrolling polarization and start focusing on some of the things going right. So check out What Could Go Right wherever you listen to podcasts. Yet it shouldn't be surprising. Obamacare is not simply an act to help a small, needy group of people, a revered part of the population who are perceived to have already delivered their work to the country, right? It's not a simple system, the ACA, of turn 65, get a card, and get coverage. It's a sometimes confusing plan of exchanges, subsidies, mandates, It provides universal care in a form, but not a clearly stated universal benefit for a sympathetic group. Implementation varies state to state. Most Americans are simply doing what they do now, obtaining insurance through their employer, and so don't feel the change that someone, say, turning 65 certainly, or even turning 60 and knowing they had five years to go, might have felt with Medicare. The plan solves the uninsured problem in some cases, White House claims 16.5 million Americans now have coverage where they did not before due to the ACA. But ACA Obamacare became a focus of partisan activity beyond its passage in a way Medicare did not. And in the view of many, Congress is more partisan now in a way that it was not in 1965. Despite his heavy involvement in the program that we know if we didn't know before, I'm certain that Lyndon Johnson would never, ever have allowed Medicare to be called Johnson Care. He certainly enjoyed being associated with the achievement, but he did not want his name in the program's name. President Obama didn't choose to have the program's name associated with him, but he grew to accept it and, in any case, did not counter it well. The lack of a clear name for this program at all, Obamacare... ACA, a a clear statement for what the program was, was, I believe, a contributing factor to the lack of support in the program and the results of the 2010 and 2014 congressional elections. The lack of branding, of salesmanship for health care reform goes to the White House and the Democratic Party who implemented it. Starting with the name, Patient Bill of Rights, America, Better Care, Elder Care, the aptly named Social Security, These are all good brand names. Government programs explain to people what they do in a positive light. By the way, Social Security was changed from the more boring name Economic Security by a crafty 
congressman from California who spotted that. In terms of doctors, it's interesting that this group is not a problem for the ACA in the way they were for Medicare. The AMA, as well as the American Hospital Association, supported ACA. Actually, the hospital had supported Medicare as well, just as they supported the current reform bill. How could they not? held the promise of new hospital customers and new physician customers paid for by the government. Medicare was not created in a vacuum. It existed as a part of a series of measures designed to create a government expansion, the largest since the New Deal. Federal education aid, housing aid, permanent food stamp program. In addition, the nation was years away from landing a man on the moon. And that at that time, gave a different focus to everything, something that's missing now. The nation would spend, between NASA and the Apollo missions, $20 billion to go to the moon. So one-fourth of that amount being used to pay for grandma and grandpa's health care, it seemed almost trivial. Why not do it? We can do this. Back on Earth, and 50 years later, President Obama's health care reform bill came at a time when the government was spending a lot more than Americans were recently used to, Fannie Mae, TARP, stimulus, but also at a time where this type of action costs and the deficits associated with it are frowned upon by a certain group in our politics. Obamacare's place in the American mind and in American politics has not yet crystallized, and it's still the subject of harsh political talk in a way that Medicare was not five years after its passage. With two supportive Supreme Court decisions and a presidential election, though, it seems like it's starting to become a fact of life. Time will tell. I want to thank you for listening If you're listening to the program for the first time, I want to tell you that the website is at www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. There are more episodes available there. You can subscribe to me on iTunes, you can subscribe on Stitcher, and a variety of other places where you can get podcasts. My Twitter is at M-Y-H-I-S-T, at MyHist. There is a transcript of this program available at medicareresources.org. They have the exclusive transcript for this episode about the 50-year history of Medicare. Thanks for listening. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.